Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Crystal Fault, the editor of the Toolkit. My guest today is Guillermo del Toro, whose new film, Shape of Water, is hitting theaters on December 1st and then getting nice and big all throughout December. Yes. It's such a beautiful film, Guillermo. Thank you, man. It's, um, you know, I, I heard recently you said something about you know, Richard Jenkins has got this line, this great, great yeah, line in the yeah. movie about uh, being born, I think, 25 years yes, too yeah. late or early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you connected with that. Yes. I think we all connect with that in some way. But, you know, thinking about it, I, I'd read that before I saw the movie. And, uh, you know, this is an unabashed fable yeah. love story. Yes. And it's also, I mean, it doesn't look like a nineteen million dollar film, but I mean, it, you know, it looks it like is. a it looks like a fifty million. But nonetheless, it's in that like kind of middle that yeah. we don't work in anymore. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons you don't feel connected, you know, that 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 twenty five years plus mm -hmm. or minus. But I mean, in and of itself, just this movie stands as a testament of yeah. of something that we don't really have anymore in the movies. Yeah, well, I agree with you. And look, nineteen point five. By the way, a lot of people in the industry don't believe us. Yeah. They say, no, 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 it costed 30. I mean, I've heard it now. Mm -hmm. Two or three people say, tell me the truth. I go, the truth is 19.5. <laughs> Actually, no, I, I'm going to say it's not true. We did it for 19.3. Because <laughs> this week, last week, mm -hmm. or and the week before, we were tallying it up, and we got $200,000 change mm -hmm. to give back. So, you know, but, but you know, that I came to learn because I, uh, I saw Alejandro. We produced a movie for Alejandro called Beautiful. Mm. And it was a big budget relative to the size of the movie. And I thought, Jesus, you know, so much budget uh, you can use to do a story that is intimate. And you, you, you really don't see the difference between that movie costing five million or what it costed. And then Alejandro goes, I'm gonna do a little one next. And he does Birdman which looks like it costed 60 million. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I really thought at that moment, you know, budget is a state of mind. Right. It's about you knowing what you have and using it really to, for ambitions that far exceed that budget. I've done it all my life, but never to this scale. And, and it's showmanship. At the end of the day is going back to the classical way of movie making, doing physical sets, doing, uh, physical suit, makeup effects, uh, and, and and doing gestures, what I call gestures, mm -hmm. which means uh, if you have a group of friends and you invite them to dinner twice early in your friendship, you'll be the guy that buys dinner. <laughs> the same is, it happens with an audience. If you do two or three big mm -hmm. flourishes in the movie, early on, the movie gains a scale. Mm -hmm. And they say, oh, it's a big movie. And then you can go small, <laughs> you know? And, and, and that's what we, you do. I mean, you're fortunate in the sense that you're an artist where, um, you know, the two, the, the bigger movies that you've just made, Pacific Rim, mm -hmm. um, uh, these are things which were very much Guillermo del Toro films. So yeah. you, can, you, you, can, you can find your way into a franchise, and, yes. and, and Troll Hunters is great. You can find your way into an animated, animated yes. thing. Yeah. Um, and I love those. But there's something about that I miss so much in that Pan's Labyrinth world, yes. in that fable world, and that and you have such a sincerity in this in this beauty of fable in your storytelling. I have to imagine, and not once again to say that you were making these other things because no. they weren't. No, I understand tonally. Tonally, but I just I, I imagine th this is something that wasn't the easiest thing to get off the ground and took some time. The fact that you've gone back to this size film in this size world. 
What I did was the opposite of what I did on Pants in the sense, I mean, um, for me, my three favorite films I've done is Shape of Water, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Devil's Backbone, mm -hmm. and then Pants Labyrinth, in that order, mm -hmm. you know? And the three of them have in common many things. One of them is each of those movies uh, resuscitates me from a really difficult moment, uh, personally. Mm -hmm. Each of those three, very, very difficult moments. Uh, the other thing is they are uh, more intimate than the others, including Crimson Peak, which is very personal, but is not as intimate. Mm -hmm. These are very, very intimate, and, and, and they are the three of them are incredibly dangerous to the liver mm -hmm. because one of them is a, a fairy tale set in post-Civil uh, War fascist Spain. Mm -hmm. The other one is this, and, uh, you know, a ghost story, a, a gothic ghost story set in uh, Civil War Spain. And the third one is now whatever it is. It's a Cold War movie, spy thriller, musical, drama, comedy, Douglas Sirk meets Powell and Pressburger, whatever it is. And, and those are very difficult. And those are the ones that really need you. The other movies, you know, if I hadn't done uh, Blade Two, there would be a different type of Blade Two, but there would be a Blade Two. I, Hellboy, I don't think would exist. Uh, Pacific Rim, somebody legendary would have found somebody to do one version of Pacific Rim, you know. But the Devil's Backbone, Pants, Chronos, this, they wouldn't exist if I didn't make them, mm -hmm. you know. And that I think. Uh, has a, an implication and a risk factor that goes hand in hand with artistic integrity, if you want, or delivery. And, and, and that makes them very special in, in my estimation. I've seen you say, uh, those are the th three films that I was thinking about, Devils and, and Pans in this mm -hmm. conversation. And I'd seen you say before that, you know, with Devils, there was very much this, from a political standpoint, a desire to do a childhood during war. Yes. Then 9-11, you felt like a need to kind to of re to re return to that. Rephrase it. Yeah, and, and you've been very, I mean, obviously for you, form, and that's what I want to talk to you about, is, is, is of most importance. But in terms of the starting point, I'm wondering what was that impetus? Because these films can be political in a sense. They what are. Yeah, what was... If if the if the if the childhood war was and then nine eleven what was what was the one for shape of water? Well, you know, the, uh, every decision on shape of water comes from a real uh, angst, a real op oppressive feeling that mm -hmm. I have present. You know, uh, that we are being in the most intimate spaces of our lives. We're being divided by ideology, mm -hmm. more and more, sliced the thinnest, mm -hmm. to the point where you you know. We, we, we have a, a paradox in which we have grown the level of demand in our social discourse for perfection so overwhelmingly and at the same time in the most intimate places, religious, um, political, um, gender, uh, simply existing, uh, you, you, the, the, you are fed more and more reasons to fear the other. There's, oh, the other quote-unquote, whether it's an immigration status, a race, whatever. And, uh, and it creates the, the illusion of us and them. And there's only us. And, and I wanted to say, can I talk about it without referring to the present day? Mm -hmm. And then I, I very carefully studied the time that I wanted to set it in during the Cold War, because it's a perfect uh, place for a fairy tale in my twisted head. 
It's like 62, right? It's 62, like, it's, it's exactly. Like right before Kennedy shot. Exactly. Right before the, the disillusionment of Vietnam, blah, yeah. blah, blah. You know, Vietnam escalating because yeah. Vietnam is already active. But, but the main thing there is also the fact that it's the crystallization of Camelot in the American imagination, mm-hmm. this fairy tale time. And, and I needed to talk about that em- empathy, uh, forgiveness, ac- acceptance, understanding, blah, blah, blah. Things that normally you don't get in films that uh, try to uh, be highly intellectual, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's much more easy to sound intelligent by being cynical, mm-hmm. you know? It's much easier to say, I don't believe in things, and people go, he knows what he's doing. If you say, I believe in things, you sound disingenuous. So, you know, this movie specifically responds to that sort of oppression that you feel as a human being trapped almost mm-hmm. in, in, in a world that, that seems to be very cruel in the discourse of what it is to be human. And now, you can say, well, but there, there is us and them in the movie, there's dichotomy. Of course there is, because there is ideology. Mm-hmm. And, and the one character that enforces the ideology, which is Michael Shannon, also goes through his own personal breakdown mm. of uh, the things that he believed in don't work. Yeah, obedience and, obedience and, uh, and, and, and uh, decency. decency. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you, you, you're known for sketching and mm-hmm. you're obviously world building and, and I, I've seen you talk about you know sketching and mm-hmm. starting that. I'm wondering with this, what was those first few images? What were those first few things? You know, it, I had I tried to do it for a long, long time and I couldn't find a way in and then on one morning in 2011 we were shooting tests and the early footage for Pacific Rim mm-hmm. and uh, I had the, the, uh, breakfast with Daniel Krauss mm-hmm. and now I have done uh, two amphibian uh, uh, characters in Hellboy 1 and Hellboy 2 in the super secret government facilities, but you always went through the front door mm-hmm. with the agents and the FBI and, you know, the big the big uh, sort of alpha males, you know? And then uh, we were having breakfast and Daniel said, I said, what, what else are you working on? And he said, oh, well, I have this idea of a janitor mm-hmm. that befriends uh, an amphibian creature in a government facility and takes it home. This is December 2011, and I say, I'm buying this, that's my next movie. Mm-hmm. It took me a few more years to crack it. Mm-hmm. But in 2012, I started working on that screenplay right during Pacific Rim when I was making notes. And the first image that, that gave the nugget of what the movie is, because the movie is the juxtaposition of the extraordinary and the ordinary. You know, I have a river god living with me. Oh, that's fantastic. Where, where does the river god live? In my bathtub. <laughs> that's the juxtaposition. And, and the image, the first image was uh, Eliza with the, play, the record player sitting on a little chair having a sandwich while the creature looks at her from the, from the cylinder, the mm. water cylinder, the compressor. And, and, and that was a very quaint little date. And I thought that's the nugget of the film. Mm-hmm. I've also... You've also spoken about how color, but also a texture, is yeah. also something that is like a starting point yeah. for you. And I mean, I, your films are always magnificent looking. This is one of the best production design films I've seen in many mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. I mean, this thing is, I want to live in this world, but more importantly, this amphibian creature mm-hmm. and this whole love story is, is so believable in, in, yeah. in this world. I'm wondering what was that 
feel? Because I know it's, like, it's got to be something tactile and color. What yes. was that feel that, you know, when you started to see these things? Well, we started designing before nobody, I mean, the, we started designing Guy Davis, Vince Pross, mm -hmm. and myself before anyone came on board. Mm -hmm. No no wardrobe designer, no production mm -hmm. designer. And we started designing the key sets. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was 2013 that mm -hmm. we started. The key uh, sets being her apartment, Jacob's yeah, apartment, apartment which and then the main tank room. The main right? tank room, yeah. Uh, and and we went, we went. Uh, I paid for it. Mm -hmm. uh, I, there's about, a, there's 100,000 or more that I never charged or put in the ledger that I wanted to do to, to develop the creature, which took about two years mm -hmm. and one year of execution. And, uh, and to develop the look of the movie before anyone came on board so I could present it to Fox. This is what I did, the reverse of Lampan Sabin. Mm -hmm. Instead of uh, pitching for three years trying mm -hmm. to find the money, mm -hmm. I developed for about two years mm -hmm. with a very small crew of sculptors and illustrators. I developed the look of the movie so that when I pitched it, mm -hmm. they would know they knew the story, I could take them bit by bit, and they could see the world. Mm -hmm. And very important, they could see the creature. Because when you say, this is a love story, mm -hmm. can I see the main character? You want to show it, mm -hmm. you know? And this I did differently. And, and the idea on this design was, can I tell the story as I tried to do through visuals? So for example, the two main characters, which are sort of two sides of one coin, they share a single window you know, between the two apartments, divided by a corridor. Mm -hmm. And uh, that tells you already that there are two halves of one, one, one character. The other thing is then her apartment is uh, art directed and painted and textured to look underwater, perennially. Her side is always sort of in, in cold light, cold light, blue, blue and cyan, uh, water stains all over the place, and the other apartment and the other characters' houses are color-coded in amber and warmth, mm -hmm. oranges, yellows, daylight colors. And then you leave green for the future, which is the lab, the car, the pies, the gelatin. Mm -hmm. Everything that is the future is green. And then you leave red for love and cinema. Mm -hmm. and, and that way you color-coded the movie, textured the movie. We can go again uh, uh, and talk about forms and textures, and you do the same for all of those. Uh, the creature has every color that the movie has, except green, because the creature is from the past. You know, and so that's part of this. Also, is like you talk about two years of getting the creature right. Yeah, I mean, there is an element I have to imagine of where where's that line between creature and yes. something that you could fall in love with. But I imagine that's also part of it. Is is that it? her world, Eliza's world, has yes. to like feel like oh, it's yeah. connected in the color, right? 100%. I mean, if you imagine that we're running a zoo, uh -huh. so you are creating a habitat mm -hmm. for the creature. The, the movie is a habitat. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you see the design globally, the design of a movie like a bullseye, the center of the bullseye is the creature. Mm -hmm. the, the other circles, that, that keep going out and out is production design, mm -hmm. cinematography, wardrobe design, makeup and hair. It's a single discipline. Mm -hmm. We divide it in departments so we can communicate, but our direction, all of that, set decoration, it's a single discipline. 
You're the conductor with all of them. You, you, you do. You're a conductor and a dictator because you know what the movie is telling. And a choice should never be made because it looks good. Mm -hmm. You say, okay, it looks good, but why? Why? What are, what are you telling me about the guy? When did they buy it? Did, did they buy it? Was the apartment already furnished? Tell me. And so you see that they live above a cinema, and you see that some leftover movie cans are left in the corridor. The place where he, she puts her shoes is the place where the canisters used to go. Uh, you can see that his apartment... Uh, the wallpaper was from the time it was an office. Mm -hmm. Her, she doesn't even have wallpaper. She tear it down. Blah blah blah. And you tell the story. You, when you introduce a character and where he or she lives, you're telling the audience w what their life is. You know the fact that Sally lives above a theater and all day long and all night long there's light and voices and music coming from the movies below. Mm -hmm. Tells you who, how she thinks. You know, uh, the fact that her routine is waking up. Uh, dreaming of water, waking up, boiling in water, a few eggs, then uh, masturbating in water, mm -hmm. and then going to work after shining her shoes. You know, mm -hmm. that's that's her daily life. And that feeling like you don't want it. It's not something like you say green is the future. No. It, it, it's not like it, it's like in literature or something where it's like, oh, green means this. But it becomes this thing where it's like that routine and that world and living above the cinema when she walks into that factory and into that yes, world yes. and into what's out there, you can instantly feel the kind of soul at sea in this in yeah. this world, which is so important to, yeah. you don't need a lot of setup for the fact that she's so drawn to. No, to, you, to, you, it's very hard to explain beyond the analogy, but I wrote this movie thinking of a song. Mm. I, you know, I didn't want it to feel symphonic uh, mm -hmm. only. I wanted it to feel like a song. Like, I wanted you to come out of the movie humming the movie, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. You know, like a nice tune. And, 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 and it's the first movie where I think I exhale. I think the other movies were inhaling mm -hmm. and holding. Nine movies were inhaling and holding. And this is the first movie where I exhale. Where it has a different energy, it is of a piece with the other movies in in visuals and some of the content and all that. But there is a sense of uh, humanity in the movie that is very different from the others. It's not pessimistic. It's, it's not a. Uh, it is um, bittersweet, but it's very vital. It's a hard thing to get to because that a sense of like it's going to be the music's going to be the motivation, the yes. movement, and to not rely. I mean, you have a great story here, mm -hmm. and, and Vanessa Taylor did a great job working. But there's an element here of not explaining things with plot, not explaining no. things with backstory, but to let music take it. Yeah. That's that sounds good, yeah. but to to do it, it's it, difficult. And I know I saw recently. It made me, I don't know if this was the connection, but I mean, I know you love Paul Thomas Anderson's films yeah. and you've talked about wanting to, um, you know, actually he's not on the list of people that you're gonna, who are you studying? You're studying Michael Mann and- uh, no, uh, yeah, Michael Mann and, and George Miller, no, uh, but, uh, but, PTA is phenomenal. But, but the thing about Punch Drunk Love is that, yeah, yeah. that film works yeah. Like that's the one. That's one of the few. That film is like a piece of music. Yes, it's like and, a song. I, I'm just wondering because you had mentioned that film. Yeah. I'm wondering if that's something like that's a film like that that well, you it, are reaching of, for. That of his films is the one, the one I most admire, mm -hmm. I, and I think it. I, I think everybody's phenomenal in that movie. And I, I had playing in when I was writing and designing this movie. I was playing George De La Rue, Nino Rota, mm -hmm. and the score for Punch Drunk Love, and we actually tempted one of the cuts of the movie early on with Punch Drunk. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think that uh, 
the the fact that you can one of the one of the few changes that you gain with age mm -hmm. is the opposite of wisdom is uh, you you gain a sense of being that is not knowledge it's just a sense you almost become younger mm. as you grow older and and more hopeful uh, even although the, the world may be imperfect you know mm -hmm. and I sense that uh, punch drunk has that energy mm -hmm. and, and 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 I, I even do a, a color transition in the movie that is uh, directly a quote mm -hmm. from punch drunk when when the, there are two, two drops of water that are different colors, and when they finally join, I'm going to the, one of those punch drunk long <laughs> multicolored transitions. You, <laughs> I, know? I, you know, I didn't make that connection, but now yeah. you see as you say that, yeah. Um, talk, can we talk a little bit about the camera, too, because this thing is constant. Remember, I, I, I've only seen it once, so I'm going to see it yeah. again when it comes out on Friday. Um, There's not a single static shot in there. It movie. feels like it's constantly moving. That's part yeah. of this, right? Is well, that, it was the idea of uh, I wanted to shoot the movie and evoke. Uh, Minelli and and you know uh, Cirque and all that and with colors and blah blah blah. But I wanted very much, and I think by the way, I uh, I'm sure that he would never say it or hasn't said it. But I think I think Cirque uh, is a big influence in Paul Thomas Anderson mm -hmm. in 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 ways that are invisible maybe to anyone. But there are things that I I see in melodrama and use of color, blah blah blah. But uh, one of the things that I wanted was to shoot like a musical. Where the camera was fluid, like water, mm -hmm. you know, that, that the camera was roaming all the time, and there is sometimes it's moving less or or a little more, but there is not a single static shot in the movie. It's always on a dolly, always on a crane, sometimes in a steadicam. I tried to mm -hmm. stay on the classical uh, mini. I, so I was on a mini jib, I was on a techno, I was on a on a on a dolly with a hydraulic head, you know. It, we tried to always keep it moving, but in a classical way, like 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 you were meeting a character and he, he or she was going to break into a song. Mm -hmm. you know? Is that something where obviously that's part of how you're seeing it? That's part of the musicality. Um, is this something also where um, you've made enough films that the pace and rhythm you've got it pretty well down by the time you're shooting it, or is this something where you're on set and you're ah that beat's a little wrong. I got to like figure out. Maybe a rounder no, move, or is, is yeah, it really? It's, it's half and half. The, and the more you know the tools, the more you know mm -hmm. what tool you need. Mm -hmm. Like there, there is a very big difference uh, between a, a massive difference between a, a dolly and a and a mm -hmm. crane, even if it's a small crane. Mm -hmm. You know, because you can, for example, follow and sit down mm -hmm. uh, with a character with a crane in a different way, very fluid. You you have curved movements because the vectors cross differently than in a dolly. Now there's power on a, on a diagonal dolly where you jib up uh, 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 hydraulically or if you're going into a techno crane. You know, there were big, big movements on the techno crane in this movie that were across hundreds of, of, of feet, mm -hmm. you know, and they are invisible. And, it's, and you know, the, the normal solution there would be a steady cam. Mm -hmm. Now with 19.5 million, the normal solution would be don't hire a techno, don't hire a steady cam. Mm -hmm. Do it as static as you can, and that—that that was one of the challenges. You know that musically, rhythmically, uh, the movie needs it, and mm -hmm. if you, you you know it as a director, and then you finesse what you're using with your DP. You say, "Oh, listen, I'm, I see it as a dolly," and he may say, "You know what? Let's use the techno. Uh, can we get it to tomorrow?" You know, mm -hmm. you, you have to be very careful. You you call the techno only on the days 
You need it. On Pacific Rim, we have two technos every day. All just the on time. standby. Just well, to, yeah. No, because that was the only way yeah. to shoot the compots. Okay. We knew it. Yeah. On this, we have to say Tuesday, Wednesday, <laughs> and then next Tuesday we get the techno because we don't have yeah. the money. Yeah. There's also um, you, you reference all these great Hollywood '50s movies, mm -hmm. um, but there's also. Uh, and I was thinking about it in terms of the camera movement. It's interesting, now that you say Manali, I see that. But when I, when I saw it the first time, I was thinking of kind of late 20s silent mm -hmm. film yeah. in this element. And there is a silent film element to this there movie. Is. I think it's mostly wrapped in, I mean, Sally. obviously, I mean, to be literal, Sally is a, is a mute. But, well, I mean, but yeah. I mean, it feels like there's also something about her casting mm -hmm. and her character mm -hmm. that you are evoking. Um, and I, I, once again, I think of those great mid-late 20s um, silent films that are, you know, slightly elevated, like fables, and you can yeah. believe in Borzegi, you can believe in love. Yeah, Frank Borzegi, Frank Borzegi uh, is, is another phenomenal filmmaker that mm -hmm. I, I do love, and I, you know, I think I squat, uh, started quoting him in Kronos, and I don't quote in a postmodern way, what mm -hmm. I try is to rephrase because I think the essence of art is synthesis. Mm -hmm. You're not going to invent anything new, but the way you synthesize mm -hmm. what you are made of gives you your own voice. It makes it unique. I mean, I, I may like Jack Arnold and I like Creature from the Lag Lagoon, but this is not Creature from the Lag Lagoon. I like Douglas Sirk, but he never shot a movie with an amphibian. Mm -hmm. I like uh, uh, Stanley Donen, but blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's the way you synthesize what you are, your history, your biography, and your filmic biography that makes the difference. And when you're talking about Orsaggi and the tw uh, and 20s and so forth, what I gave Sally, uh, when we started shooting, I gave her a, a Blu-ray kit that had Harold Lloyd, Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, and Stan Laurel. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, you have to study Stan Laurel because uh, that's the, the one actor that you know, because Chaplin uh, was phenomenal at peripath, at, at sort of sweet and sour, mm -hmm. but he was he, he he pushed big. You know, Keaton was stone faced. Mm -hmm. Harold Lloyd was had that everyday boy charm and all that, but Stan Laurel had this beatific, almost state of grace innocence mm -hmm. or purity rather purity, not innocence, that allowed him to circulate through the most outlandish situations in the most graceful way. And I said, this is Eliza. This is not a character that is lonely. I don't want her to be lonely. I want her to have a modest but very, very nice life. You know, she has a neighbor that loves her, a good friend at work. She has a job, blah, blah, blah. And she, she really, I think she channeled uh, that. I, I, we talk about Audrey Hepburn. I said, uh, when, when she runs, I said, give me an Audrey Hepburn, which means you throw your torso forward a little bit like a you know, like a heroine in a big movie, and the crane meets you. Uh, and for example, in the staircase, when she's listening, or rather looking at them, talking about what they're gonna do with the creature, your hand is forward in the rail and your body is back. It's a very silent film, or a very classical film gesture. Mm -hmm. Water's part of this too. I mean, I'm not want to get, I mean, yeah. not to be too literal, but I mean, there is a, a sense of movement and of, of, of a kind of this feeling of, Especially their love affair and, mm -hmm. the, and and feelings, but like that's also a budget thing, right? You can't. You weren't in tanks, right? No, uh, we did a uh, we did a tank shot, which is when we. I mean, the the only thing we could afford was to sink the bathroom set. You did sink the. We bathroom did sink set. that one because uh -huh. I knew that I knew that the plastic curtains would act in a certain way, uh -huh. and the way the bodies were floating was a dance 
Mm. It needed to feel like a dance. Like yeah, a well, you have to feel a dance, but also feel that movement of water. Yeah, you yeah. cannot you yeah. cannot reproduce that with wires. Yeah. I knew that we couldn't reproduce that with mm-hmm. with wires. Her sinking mm-hmm. below the surface very hard to reproduce. Uh, but the opening, which is a very controlled, uh, almost balletic little opening, and the closing, which is very, very controlled and very mm-hmm. designed, those two are in a very old technique called dry for wet, which means uh, there's not a single drop of water in the set. What you do is you fill the room with a little bit of uh, atmosphere, mm-hmm. and then you project what is called caustics, mm-hmm. which is the distortion the light suffers when going through water. Is this like a filter you put on the light? It's, it's a, not a filter. You generate uh, the caustics on digital. Okay. okay. Or you can have a gobo, from a, a mechanized gobo from a theater. Okay. okay. Generate the caustics. Is, is that shimmering light mm-hmm. that water simulates. Then you use a fan, very powerful fan, and you shoot everything in slow motion. Oh, so the hair, so, so the, all those the, things of the water through the, the hair. hair the hair, okay. the fabric. Uh-huh. And then in, when you're in extreme close-up, you generate, sometimes you generate that hair mm-hmm. digitally. Right. Depends on how close you are. You can do it digitally or you can do it with the fan. If it's a wide shot, you leave the fan on. If it's very close, you want the, the strands of hair. Mm-hmm. You need to do a, a, a very careful grooming system and, and, and you need to rig the hair properly because it can look fake very easily. Mm-hmm. But if you do it right, which I think Mr. X, the company that did it, did perfect, it looks really great. You've described yourself as a handmade filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Obviously, some of the things that we're talking about right now are talking about doing things that's in camera, yeah. but also finding a way. I mean, I'm sure just in the course of making these films that you've made over the last 15 years, you've become a pretty big expert in like what you can and cannot do yeah. with visual effects. How, how, I mean, some, and we're also, budget's another thing here, but how, how do you navigate in terms of, it seems as if you are definitely someone that would like to do things as practically and mm-hmm. as in camera as possible. Yes. But where, where, where do you find yourself in terms of making those decisions and drawing that line in something like a project like this? I think that I mean I, I, I'm, I'm the the guy that makes that decision the earliest uh-huh. in the crew because I don't I rarely share that responsibility because I, when I'm writing, I'm writing for the budget. I, I, it's, not, it's not the right thing to do, it's the way I do it because I was raised mm-hmm. fiscally responsible in Mexico. Mm-hmm. It's not an industry that allows for waste. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I did, uh, when I was doing my short films, I learned special effects. Mm-hmm. I studied with Dick Smith, and for 10 years, I ran a company that did animation, uh, rotoscope, compositing, makeup effects, suits, mm-hmm. you know? And we did it, you know, efficiently with very little money and, and you, that discipline stays with you. And, and, and I closed the company after doing Kronos. <coughs> and, and that stays with you, you plan it, and you, you know how, you, you know your technique. I mean, I studied the classical effects from classical films. I don't know only the new techniques. I know the old techniques. When mm-hmm. we're talking about compositing an image, the language still the same, mm-hmm. matte lines, roto, <coughs> you know, matte paintings. Mm-hmm. You're still using the composite lines. You're using the, the, the same language than before. Grain, mm-hmm. uh, uh, haze, this, uh, uh, the atmospheric dispersion, specularity, the language is the same. It helps for <coughs> you to conceive in that direction, to, to think yeah. about that, and so it's not, it's not be, okay. Um, lastly, and we, we made reference to it before, it, and I can imagine you're going to be having a lot of conversations like this, hopefully about cinema. But mm-hmm. uh, and but 
it's going to be busy. It's 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 a rush. You need to unplug before you do your next project. And yeah. It sounds like for you, there's an element here of investing time in watching films and thinking about films and kind of yeah. pulling back and it, you know I saw your, your thank yous were basically I imagine your, a lot of your director friends I see, I see yeah, they, they, that read the screenplay yeah. yeah and so I imagine there's an element here it, it was it is Michael Mann and PTA right am I wrong yeah. about that but that idea of pulling back and spending time with them and talking Michael Mann and George Miller George Miller yeah I'm sorry I got that wrong but you're gonna um spend some time talking to them, thinking about them. That's an element of this. Like, well, right? I, I tell you, when, you know, two, one of the origins of Shape of Water that made me do it uh, instead of doing a bigger movie, which I was uh, on track to do, you know, uh, was that I was a juror in the Cannes Film Festival where, where the, the Coen brothers were presidents. And what was this, 2015? Uh, 2015, I suppose, yeah. 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 And, and I already had pitched it to Searchlight. They had already financed the screenplay. I was writing with Vanessa Taylor. I had written uh, drafts and so forth. But I was going to do uh, Pacific Rim 2. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I had, and this is corny, sounds Capra-esque, but it's true. I had such a reconnection with the essence of film at the Cannes Film Festival. I, I had such a purity of an experience. And, and I felt... Uh, that movie is timely, The Shape of Water. It's For me, it feels urgent mm -hmm. to tell it now. And 25 years of filmmaking, a quarter of a century doing movies, is telling me to do that movie. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and I felt this came out from talking to Xavier Dolan, to talking to the Coins, discussing film, in a way that you do when you're in university, so to speak, or mm -hmm. when you're starting. Or uh, for anywhere. Yeah, or, or, or the way I talk <laughs> yeah. with Alfonso and Alejandro. Yeah. And Alfonso and Alejandro said, look, I, we know you're contractually going to do Pacific Rim, but if any opportunity opened, you should do the other one. And miraculously, on Pacific Rim, there was an impasse uh, asked for the studio to, to do a six-month hiatus. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm taking that. I'm going to do the other movie, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, and, 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 and that, that kind of decision, that kind of chicken soup, good for the soul, yeah. comes from spending time with your director friends yes. and, and celebrating yes. in movies. And, and, and this sabbatical, yeah. I want to go to two masters. Yeah. I want to do a little pilgrimage mm -hmm. and, and, and humbly surrender myself to the wisdom of George Miller. Yeah. And humbly surrender myself to the wisdom of Michael Mann. Yeah. And say, let's talk about film formally. Let's talk about film not, not like we discuss TV or any other storylines. You yeah. know, we don't talk about character, we don't talk about screenplay isolated from the formal decisions. Right. Let's talk about film as you talk about music, yeah. rhythm, movement. Let's talk about film the way you talk about painting, color, palette, composition, uh, vigor of, of brush stroke. Mm -hmm. How do we do this in film? Why is it a dolly? Why is it handheld? Why did you cut three times? Why didn't you cut ten? Because you you, you look look at the um, heat, mm. for example. There are moments of where Michael Mann can hold a master for a couple of minutes yeah. without a single cut, and then look at the heist in that movie. That is a piece of music, you know. And and he's not going to have a cut longer than two seconds, three seconds, but it's going to be the exact length. Mm. Same with George Miller. 
He can be elegiac or he can mm -hmm. be uh, energetic. And this doesn't happen. This is the thing that I, I think we can do for young filmmakers is discuss our craft in a toolkit yeah. way. I couldn't agree more. You know, and I, I love the stuff that's happening in TV, and there's a crowd of people going into TV. And, yeah. You know, I learned a lot watching The Wire. Of you course. Know, and I loved watching it. It's great dramaturgy. And I love that. And there's some good filmmaking in there. But in general, we end up talking about our inner cities, our problems, our things, the things that like I I would get maybe from a book or reading the. Or paper. you talk about plot and character, yeah, which yeah. which yeah. which can be another medium. But the the weight, the specific weight of cinema, mm -hmm. and I, I, you know, it is it is only to that medium. Uh, you know, it, it, TV doesn't memorialize images in the same way. It memorializes characters mm. and moments. Everybody has hundred great moments from The Sopranos or yeah. The Wire, but, but images, yeah. an image. I have to get you out of here. Um, oh. and speaking of that, well, uh, this, is one, this is one of these movies that um, is exactly like that. It'll stay with you for a long, long time uh, and you're thinking about it. I mean, it is, it is so pure in listening to you talk about it in terms of music and in terms of these expressions. And I, I, I often think that sometimes great movies there's a simplicity yes. from pulling back and, and, and not, there's obviously nothing simple about this, what this movie has to say or how you made it, but there's something about letting it be a piece of music and, 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 and having a, this, this it artist is. structure. The, there's, there's a mentor, uh, a, a filmmaker from the 70s called Felipe Casals mm. that mentored Alfonso Cuaron very closely and he was sort of a mentor to me and others of my generation. We see him as a master in Mexico. He saw the movie and he said, it took you 25 years, but you made your first movie. <laughs> <laughs> you can only get that kind of backhand comment, comment from a mentor. Yeah, he's uh, like a Zen master with well, hitting you, you in the hand. If, if Mr. Mann and Mr. Miller are okay with it, hopefully you will get a chance to share with us some of the things you yes. learned from them. Uh, Guillermo, thank you for this movie. Thank you for coming in. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank All you. Right. Take it easy.